Amen. Well, good morning. Hey, we did it. We made the, uh, the flip. Nice job with that. Um, a flip like this does not happen without a lot of work. It's not as simple as just turning the chairs 180 degrees. So again, thanks to Worship Arts team for figuring out how to do what it is that you do to make this happen. And thanks to those of you who serve on Jennifer's team. Thank you so much to figure out how do we get people routed in the right signs, pointing the right ways. And then again, thanks to all of you. Um, it is ridiculous, uh, the things that churches fight over, isn't it? When we have so many things to be fighting for in all the right ways, you know, uh, thanks, thanks for not making this a big deal. Um, this was actually a little bit of a warm-up. We're going to really test you next week. We're starting a brand new theme next week called Camp ECC, and we're going to have to have some fun with it, and hopefully it'll come across as fun uh, rather than something else. We're going to create right here a fire. There's going to be a campfire when you walk in next week, so we're have some fun with that. The worship arts team was gracious enough to let three-chord Chris uh, pull out his guitar. So for the first time in about 10 years, I'm going to pull out my guitar for a couple camp songs. We'll keep it painless, uh, just a couple of them. But we had to, had to do some throwback songs. So that'll be fun. And I checked with uh, Jennifer this week. We are going to have free Camp ECC t-shirts next week. So if you're in attendance... We'll have a free Camp ECC t-shirt for you, uh, just as a little way to have some fun with this theme as we kicked it off. Kick it off. But that's next week. That's next week. We've got a series to, figure, fi to finish here this week. Um, for those who have been a part of uh, the, the series so far, we're in a book called Habakkuk. So you might want to start looking for it right now. Uh, it's going to take a while. It's, it's not a familiar book for most of us. It's only three chapters long. Uh, it's in the Old Testament section of our Bibles. I had never studied it before. I'd read it before, but I'd never studied before. Oh, what a, what a gem. What a, what a book that's not only timeless, but timely. Uh, it's a fantastic book, and we're going to look at chapter 3 today, but let's get a running start. Um, we'd do this even if we didn't see some new people here today, which we do, but let's get a running start. Chapters 1 and 2, really quick review, and then we'll get into chapter 3. That'll be our new material. All right, here we go. Chapter 1. In chapter 1, Habakkuk is burdened. He's a prophet. And he is burdened by the events of his day. Um, he is burdened because the Jewish kings were corrupt. He was burdened because the Jewish priests were corrupt. Corrupt. He was burdened because there were false prophets that were giving a lot of false hope to a whole lot of people. He was burdened because there was this nation of Assyria that had just swept in and was, was oppressing his people for more than a century. So he was burdened by the things that he saw, and he let God know it. He didn't hold back. Here's how I summarize. These are my words, not his. Here's how I summarize his questions that he brought before the Lord. Um, there's a place to write this in your notes, too. If you uh, look in your bulletin, there should be a green note page. You can write some of these things down. Here's how I summarize Habakkuk's questions. He, he was asking, God, why aren't you responding to all of this like you should? Right? This is what you should do, God. Why aren't you ex responding in expected ways? Habakkuk didn't want to hear the Lord moves in mysterious ways. He didn't want to hear that. He said, work in expected ways. Your people are being oppressed. We got a whole lot of yahoos in leadership. Come on. Come in and make things right. Okay, those are my words. Here's his. Um, he, well, he's, he's this direct, right? Look, take a look at this. Um, this is out of Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I want to let you know, too, if you're um, uh, new here, we, we keep a stack of Bibles for you. They're, they're for a gift. And we have a stack uh, at the table here, and then there's also a stack of 
Bibles in the back. They're for you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free today. Please take one. We would love to give you one. All right, here's what, here, here are some of Habakkuk's questions in his own words. He says, oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you won't hear? How long will I cry violence and you won't save? Why do you make me see iniquity and you idly look at wrong? Now, as we've talked about almost ad nauseum throughout this series, we can relate to these questions. If God can see all things, if God can do all things, then why does he allow evil and injustice to continue? Why doesn't he do something about it? Well, God's answer to Habakkuk wasn't the answer that Habakkuk hoped for. In fact, God told Habakkuk things are going to get worse before they get better. And as Habakkuk pushed back against that, God doubled down. And here is a summary. Again, these are my words, not God's. But here's a summary of what God said when Habakkuk said, what? what? You're going to what? You're going to let the Babylonians, a nation worse than the one that's already oppressing us, oppress us? God says this. Here's a couple bullets from God's answer. God says, the righteous will walk by faith. You need to trust me in this. The righteous will walk by faith. God says, I can raise or I can raise an empire. God says, my time is not your time. Will I do justice? Yes, in the appointed time. God made it clear that he sees evil and justice. None of this has escaped his sight. And he says, there is a day coming. There's a day coming when all will be as it should be. That day's coming, and it'll come at its appointed time. Well, why hasn't that day come yet? We still ask that question. If, in part because God is not only a just king, who will one day banish all evil from his kingdom. He's also a loving father who's got some messed up kids. How many of you are one of those messed up kids? I am one of those messed up kids. Again, those you didn't put your hands up, you're liars. <laughs> and so let's just be honest. We're messed up kids. We all are. And because God is rich in mercy, because he's rich in mercy, he has made a way to destroy evil without destroying us. And his kindness is meant to lead to our repentance. But he also says this, woe to those who don't repent. That's that final bullet that I had on the list earlier. The woe to those who don't repent of their unrighteous ways. Because God's justice will come. And woe to those who are too puffed up is the language that the Bible used. Woe to those who are too puffed up to realize that by your own understanding, by your own efforts, you won't be saved by your own strength. Well, the conversation between Habakkuk and God continued. And as it continued, we see this progression begin to happen, this softening with Habakkuk, as he began to realize that his beliefs about what God should or shouldn't do were just his beliefs about what God shouldn't or shouldn't do. They weren't correct beliefs. They were just his beliefs. And let me say this. If our beliefs about God are limited to the capacities of our finite minds, the box we attempt to place in God will never be big enough. I had to write that down word for word. The, the short version of that is, if, if your God has to conform to your expectations, he's too tiny. He's going to be a tiny God if he has to live up to your expectations because you have a finite mind, and he's a really big God, really big God. Well, several times throughout this series, I've pointed out, if you're looking for that God who will conform to your expectations, you'll need to look somewhere else. That's not the God of Israel. That's not the God of Jesus Christ. That God 
he's going to he's going to stretch us and that brings us to our next point uh, our faith is not in a god a little g god of our own creation our faith is in the god whose ways are higher than ours now we've already been there in this series let's now move on to chapter 13 because chapter 13 is going to take us even further than this chapter 3 thank you chapter 3 <laughs> habakkuk turn to habakkuk chapter 13 Thanks. Thanks for that save there. Chapter 3. I wonder what else now that I've said that I didn't mean that I meant to say. You'll let me know. Thanks. Thank you. All right. So here we go. Chapter 3. It challenges us even further, even further, because here's where, challenge, here's where chapter 3 takes us. Chapter 3 takes us beyond an if-then faith to an even-if faith. Here's what I mean by that. An if-then faith is this. You say, if you do this, God, then I'll put my faith in you. That's if-then faith. Even if faith that says, even if, even if you don't do, God, what I think you should do, I will walk by faith and I'll bring honor to your name, even if I don't understand your ways. I'd encourage you to write this down. Disciples of Jesus Christ will be frequently challenged to exchange if-then ultimatums for even-if faith. Disciples of Jesus Christ will frequently be challenged to exchange if-then ultimatums for an even-if faith. But here's the thing. If we can arrive at an even-if faith, then that's a faith that can't be shaken. Literally, even if a gun's to our head. That's a faith that can't be shaken. Well, where does an even-if faith come from? I mean, there's, a, there's several thoughts that come to my mind. Here's just a couple, and then we're going to focus just on the last one. But where does an even-if faith, faith come from? I believe it comes from close observation of God's creation. We're actually going to spend four weeks on this later um, this year, looking at, uh, at how creation testifies to a divine God. Um, I, I, I don't believe. I've, I've, I mean, I'm a science guy. I, I don't believe that, that science disproves God. I offer the opposite, and we will do that for four weeks here um, in, the, in the future. I, I believe history. You want an even-if faith? Okay, do your history. Because Christianity is based on an event. It's not based on just a set of beliefs. It's based in history, a historical event that happened in a real time 2,000 years ago in a real place about 6,000 miles from here, an empty tomb. And then here's number three, and this is a hard one, but it's the truth. Even if faith is a gift from God. Now, that one messes with us, right? That really messes with us. But that's the truth. That's what the scripture points to. Even if faith is really a gift from God. But number four, this is what I want to focus on, because number four is linked to number three. Opening the scriptures can open that gift of faith. And that's what we're going to see here in chapter three. Some people say it's 13, but it's not. It's chapter three. In chapter three of Habakkuk, we're going to see this. And I didn't know this before this week. I mean, this is, this is what I believe Habakkuk was able to tap into, the scriptures, even as he's writing this, what turns out to be the scriptures. At the end of chapter 3, Habakkuk will provide one of the most inspirational examples of even if faith that I've ever seen. And it's clear from reading chapter 3 that Habakkuk's faith was rooted deeply in the scriptures that were available to him, especially the Psalms. This is fascinating. Again, I've read Habakkuk before, but I'd never studied it before. So as I pulled out my commentaries and all that type of thing, I was going, oh, this is why chapter 3 is really hard to read. 
Chapter 3 doesn't read like a normal person talking. I'm like, why won't you just say it, right? It, here's why. Because Habakkuk was basically writing a psalm. He was drawing from the psalms. And, and chapter 3 is this song. It's, it's a psalm. It's unbelievable. Here's just a couple reasons why scholars, when they look at Habakkuk chapter 3, they go, oh, my word, this thing, this was a psalm. This guy was influenced by the psalms. There, there's a term that I won't even try to pronounce because I can't even get the number three right. Um, there's a term there that's only used in 3-1 that we're going to see, and it only occurs there and in the Psalms, in Psalm 7-1. There's another term, Selah, that if you were reading, you'll see this little thing on the side of the notes, this little notation. That only appears in Habakkuk and in the Psalms. There's a musical subscript that appears in the text in chapter 3 that only appears in Habakkuk and the Psalms. There's a phrase for the director of music at the very end of chapter 3, which is the very end of Habakkuk that is seldom found outside the Psalms. There's a few. Here's a couple more. Um, Habakkuk, the, the chapter that we're looking at today, has a chiastic structure. It's not just written kind of in a flowing conversation. There are lots of parallels between chapter 3 of Habakkuk and Psalm 7, 18, 77, and others. Chapter 3 resembles the Psalms of Lament, and I put some examples there on the screen. And the language used by Habakkuk not only fits all that, but it also is strikingly similar to Psalms of Trust, such as 17 and 90. And this, this doesn't include all the stuff I left on the cutting room floor. Was Habakkuk influenced by the Psalms? Yes. Habakkuk was profoundly influenced by the scriptures of his day. Well, in the short time we have left, let's work our way towards Habakkuk's proclamation of faith that comes at the end of chapter 3. Let's work our way there. Let's start with verse 1 of chapter 3. And chapter 3 opens like this, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Now, that jumped out at me right away because there's a contrast here. There's a progression happening in Habakkuk from the beginning, from chapter 1 to here, and now we're starting to see it. Let's contrast. Let's put chapter 1, verse 1 on the screen along with chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1 opens with this. It's the what? The prophecy. And in, in week 1, we talked about how that word is literally, more literally translated as a burden. So chapter 1 opens and Habakkuk is looking at the world of his day and he rightfully feels a burden. He says, look at this violence. Look at this injustice. And he's burdened by it. And he brings his burden before the Lord. By chapter 3, what's he bringing before the Lord? This prayer. And it's a musical prayer. And, it, and it's a prayer of lament, but it's this prayer based on God's word, as we're going to see here. So there's a, there's a change going on, and this also jumped out at me. Habakkuk's outlook has changed, but had his circumstances changed? No. The Babylonians were still coming. The Babylonians were still going to terrorize the people. They were still coming. So his circumstances hadn't changed, but his outlook had changed. Habakkuk had a faith that didn't depend on his circumstances. And it appears, you're going to see this, it appears to have been anchored to Scripture rather than personal experience. Westerners, 21st century Westerners, hate what I'm about to do right now. I'm going to tell you that you can't just rely on your personal experience. 21st century, 20, what are we in, the 22nd century? What? Modern, modern numbers, you know? This is why I'm not an accountant, you know, right? Modern Modern Westerners, we hate to, to hear this. But let me show you this. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. Look, I want to show you what I'm talking about here. 
Habakkuk is leaning into more than his personal experience. He says this as he, as he starts this prayer, as he starts this, this, this song before the Lord. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, that's our prayer, right? And is it okay to pray this prayer? Yes. Should we pray this prayer? Yes. Go for it. Pray this prayer. God, you said you love people. You said you could do miracles. God, show your love and do a miracle. Pray that prayer. Go for it. Will God hear it? Yes. Will he answer it necessarily the way you want him to answer it? And I learned that shortly after becoming a Christian. Now, I was raised in a Christian home. When exactly and how exactly does all that work? It's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? But there was a defining moment for me when I was a sophomore where I consciously opened myself up to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so as a sophomore, I had this newfound faith. It was real now and it was personal now. And there was something within me that drew me into the Scriptures. And every night, as a high schooler, every night before bed, almost every night, I would open up my Bible, and I'd read at least a chapter of the Bible. And as I opened up this scriptures for myself, it, now it wasn't just the Sunday school stories. I'm reading of God's fame. I'm reading of God's great works, Old Testament and New. And I'm, I'm just amazed by this God that presents himself through the scriptures. So I'm having this new experience with God. I'm having this new growth. And uh, one day, I go outside. And there's my dog, TC, and he's convulsing on the ground. And so I'm the only one, the oldest one home, one of the only ones with the license. I'd just gotten it, so I grabbed my dog. We lived in the country. Grabbed my dog, put him in my car, and I'm about to take off for the vet, and my brother sees what's going on. My brother, my younger brother, jumps in the back with the dog. So I'm, I'm rushing into the vet, and my dog's dying in the back. And there's something within me that says, okay, I've heard of God's fame. I've heard of his great deeds. And I've never done this before out loud, but I need to pray. And I, and I was nervous about that because I'm thinking, my brother's never heard me pray like this. You know, what's he going to think? You know, uh, we grew up in this really Lutheran church, real con- this, this specific church that just, we never talked about miracles. We never talked about any of that stuff. But I'm like, okay, I've read of your fame. I've heard of your great deeds. So I just said, prayed something like this out loud. I said, God, you can do this. You can heal my dog. You've raised people from the dead. You've showed your power before. Would you heal TC? And, and as that prayer came out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe this will even help my brother because my brother has never had an experience like this. And who knows? Did God hear my prayer? Yes. But God didn't heal my dog. And I learned an important lesson that day about walking by faith. Walking by faith that there's a God who won't always answer the prayers that we think make total sense. That prayer made total sense to me. Hey, it could have been convincing for my brother. It could have been a testimony I could share. I mean, my grade, 400 kids in my graduating class, I only knew of one other guy, Eric Bjornsson, who was trying to follow Jesus. Me and Eric, you know, I'm sure there were others, but they were undercover at the time. So it, it, was, it, was a, it could have been this great testimony, right? So it didn't make sense to me. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. Now, let me show you this. I said that I believe Habakkuk may have never seen a miracle himself. Here's why. We just read Habakkuk said, I've heard of your fame. I found this in one of my commentaries as I was, um, as I was studying this week. 
It says this, the noun fame that appears in Habakkuk 3.2 is normally used of second-hand information. So as Habakkuk is constructing this beautifully, intentionally constructed psalm, a word is used here for second-hand information, suggesting a remoteness from the hearer's own experience to the persons or events referred to. In other words, Habakkuk may have never witnessed one of God's miracles firsthand. So he's drawing from a different source. And I believe he was drawing from the scriptures. And they gave him a faith that ran deep, so deep that you're going to see in a moment, circumstances couldn't shake it. Now, there's a great quote on the back of your notes. There's actually several great quotes. I want to refer to one of them on the back of your notes that I typed out here. It's a, a quote from author Kent M. Keith, and he makes this point. He says, when people say, I, I'm losing my faith, they're not losing their faith in God. They're losing their faith in their belief about God. Say that again. When someone says they're losing their faith in God, they're not losing their faith in God. They're losing their faith in their belief about God. Because God, does God change? No. The God of the scriptures does not change. Do some of our beliefs about God need to change? Yes. If they're misplaced beliefs, if they're false beliefs. And our God is good enough to challenge false beliefs about himself. He's good enough to give us those reality checks. And that's actually the next talk point in your blanks, in your, in, your, in your notes. Difficult questions and challenging circumstances, they don't cause us to lose our faith. They serve as a reality check. They let you know what your faith really is and isn't in. Now, let me raise the, the stakes here. It's one thing to lose your dog. It's another to lose your dad. And just a few years after this event with TC, just a few years into my personal faith walk, my father died of cancer. And I tell you what, I am so glad I wasn't mentored in an egocentric faith. I'm so glad that I wasn't mentored by people who said God will give you what you want or imply that God will give you what you want if you just have enough faith. Because now either it's my fault that my dad died or it's God's fault because he did something wrong. I'm so glad I didn't have someone mentor me in an egocentric faith. And I'm also so glad that I had faith assets in my life. People who could speak in to me, as well as um, there's a Christian artist named Rich Mullins. And I remember my dad died and, and I'm driving back home alone in the car. And I've got the tape, the cassette tape, and I'm listening to it. And one of Rich Mullins' songs was playing and it's a song called Home been a powerful song in my life. This song, Home, he's singing about this storm. And I think it's metaphorical. He's singing about this storm that comes and it just comes whipping through this, this village or this valley. And, and here's a line from the song. He goes, when that storm had passed, everything that could be shaken was shaken and all that remains is all I ever really had. And I remember how that song resonated with me. I'm like, yep. This is, a, this is reality check right now. What am I going to do? Driving home, what am I going to do? Am I going to keep walking by faith or am I going to shake a fist at heaven and say, God, you should have done this or that? Well, let me say this. How much more can the living word of God serve as a corrective and a source of strength? 
than a Rich Mullins song, as good as they are. As Habakkuk reflected on the words that God spoke to his heart and mind. So remember, God, Habakkuk's having this conversation with God, and God is stretching his mind and stretching his paradigms. As that's going on, I believe Habakkuk was reminded of God's great deeds and promises that were recorded in the scriptures. I'm going to show you why I said that. And I think something clicked that wouldn't have clicked if Habakkuk didn't have that, dig, that deep well to draw from, that deep well of the scriptures. All right, I've been making all these claims. Let's take a look. Habakkuk chapter 3. Now, again, this, is in the, this comes right after a very challenging and paradigm-busting conversation with God. These, these lines are so loaded. Habakkuk 3, starting uh, with verse 3. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. This is scripture. This draws from scripture. He is tapping into the Psalms. He's tapping into Deuteronomy. He is tapping into the redemptive past here. The geographical references up there would place you in the, the, the area where the great exodus from Egypt happened, when God rescued his people from slavery and God met them in the wilderness. And this language about splendor and raised flashing, this evokes what happened when God's presence at Mount Sinai became present among the people. Habakkuk likens God's presence at Mount Sinai to that of a thunderstorm with darkness and flashes of lightning. And this was really fun. Maybe too much fun than, than, it, than it should have been. It kind of reflects on my attitude a little bit. Do you see at the bottom where it says, plague went before him and pestilence followed his steps? Do you see that? Okay, back in that time at that place, the Canaanites thought that plague and pestilence were two separate gods. And in that time at that place, if you were a person of influence, you had attendants that attended to you. Look at this. Who were his attendants? Who are God's attendants? Plague and pestilence. Your gods are under my control. Wow. There's so much going on, and that's just a little bit of that passage. Let's move on. Verse 6. God stood and he shook the earth. He looked and he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. This is another flashback to God's great deeds in history as recorded from the scriptures. In the wilderness, nature convulsed as God appeared at Sinai. And in that time, at that place, mountains were understood to be eternal. They were understood to be permanent. It was thought that somehow the mountains went down to the foundations of the earth. The only thing that could shake a mountain was what? God. And he did. And there's more. Verse 8. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and chariots to victory? There is a week's worth of wordplay here because there is re references being made to God exercising his power over the Nile River, over the Jordan River, and over the Red Sea. And there's a contrast that's being made between the chariots that Pharaoh's army rode to their deaths in pride and the chariots of God that bring salvation. Verse 12, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. 
you crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. In the days of old, the scriptures testify that God fought for his people, for his anointed ones. And he granted them victory over nations that were stronger than they. Well, the more that Habakkuk remembered God's great deeds in history, and we can see, I'm just, I'm, there's so much I've had to leave out. But the more that Habakkuk, he's listening to God, and he's thinking about this redemptive history, the more he was doing both, the more confidence he gained that God is not going to abandon us now. He never abandoned his people before, even when it looked like he did. He never gave up on, he never abandoned them. He was always up to something, even in the midst of sins. I'm not going to change that now. Verse 16. Now here's his attitude, but he's still very, very real. Habakkuk's still very, very real because he's remembering, all right, God, you've done this, but you just told me that this horrible people are going to come and they're going to come as an army that's just going to be ruthless and relentless and we're not going to be able to stop them. And he says, I heard, verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. And that word heart, if I understand it correctly, doesn't refer to the muscle in our chest. It's, it's like back then it meant kind of the same thing, but it referred to your whole guts. I mean, it just, my guts just pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. Yet, yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He's saying, all right, my, my, I just tremble and quake at what's going to happen to us, but I will wait because Babylonians don't win here. They'll do what you're going to allow them to do, and then you'll do to them what you promised to do. God's future was both fearful and secure because God had proven himself trustworthy. And eventually that day of victory would come because God promised it would come. And as a result, Habakkuk was able to offer this profound statement of trust. Here's the one I've been talking about from the beginning. Here's that passage that I would encourage you to highlight in your Bible, bookmark, get this one somewhere where you can reaccess it. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be faithful in God my Savior. My friends, that is even if faith, isn't it? Because this isn't cable going out faith. This is, in a society where you depend on the land to survive, this is life or death faith. Even if we have no food or way to get food, even if this invading army comes with their swords and their persecution, and, and I, the wording here is just powerful because he says, he doesn't go, I'm going to rejoice in my circumstances. If there are Christians who are just like, oh, just be happy. No, we don't always have to be happy about our circumstances. Some of them are from the pit of hell. And we don't have to rejoice in the circumstances. But we're not rejoicing in the circumstances. We're rejoicing in where? In the Lord. And we're going to be joyful that we have a Savior who will deliver us in this life or the next, but we'll get delivered. And his purposes will ultimately prevail. And we need this. We need this. And not just when we're facing 
some things that are hard. Right now, we have brothers and sisters in Christ in Syria, in Iran, North Korea. And what if you're one of them, your family's one of them, and you get word that the soldiers are coming to your house? Will you be able to rejoice in the Lord and trust in God's ultimate salvation? Will you be able to pray this prayer? Here's the last verse of Habakkuk chapter 3. Will you be able to pray this? The sovereign Lord is my strength. I will trust not in chariots. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now, in the midst of things that don't make sense, life or death things, Habakkuk found strength. And I want to say he found strength in the scriptures. Why do I say he found strength in the scriptures? Because this is Holy Spirit plagiarism right here. He didn't come up with that. He's quoting scripture. When people say, pray the scriptures, pray the scriptures. They're an amazing source of strength. He's praying the scriptures here. Let me show you. This is Habakkuk 3.19. Let me show you um, uh, Psalm 18. Habakkuk 3.19. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Psalm 18. He made my feet like the feet of the deer. He set me secure in the heights. Habakkuk is drawing from this deep well of the living word of God. Does anyone know who wrote Psalm 18? When in doubt, guess who? David. <laughs> when in doubt with the Psalms, guess David. You'll be right most of the time. All right? Um, yes, David wrote this one. And remember, Habakkuk was coming from a place. He, he didn't see the great miracles that God worked through David. Habakkuk never saw the giant fall. He didn't see the giant fall. But he was able to grab onto this scripture, grab onto this anointed word. And it gave him courage and it gave him strength. Well, as we bring this series to a close, I want to draw your attention to a graphic that's been there all along. It's on the cover of your bulletin. It's been there for the last three weeks. It's been up on the screens. We'll put it up one last time. Mike Dvorak does most of our um, creating of our visuals. And all I said was, yeah, we're doing Habakkuk. And he says, well, what kind of image should I get? And I go, I'm sure you're going to come up with something, Mike. And he did. What a perfect image for Habakkuk. Because storms are going to come. Storms are going to come. And when they do, will you have an even if faith? Will you find that lighthouse? Will you find that, that scripture? Find that source of strength that you can lock on to? Because these storms will pass, whether in this life or the one to come. In the midst of storms that came his way, Habakkuk was able to focus on the God who is rather than a God whose very existence is called into question when the winds begin to blow. Among other things, we've seen Habakkuk do strengths from the scriptures of his day. And when nothing appeared as they should be, Habakkuk was still able to proclaim, though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. How many of you are going to need a faith like this? All right. And let's commit right now to figuring out how we can get into the word. Let's pray. Lord, um, you haven't made all of us the same. And we can't engage the word all the same, but we all need to engage the word. So, Father, as we leave this place right now, will you first and foremost give us the conviction, the conviction to get into your word because we need it. And then secondly, will you give us a practical step, a practical way that we can and one that will resonate with the people you've created us to be.
Would you bless us in that way as we go forth from this place? In Jesus' name, amen.